1: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is my colleague Joe Healy and we are here to wrap up week nine of college baseball. It was an extended weekend as uh, it was Easter weekend as well. Happy Easter to those who celebrated over the weekend. Um, and so that meant that many of these series opened on Thursday. So some of this stuff feels like low-key ancient history by now, Joe, uh, but we've got a lot to get to uh, around the country. You had ver- so many teams in the top 25, like half of the top 25 lost series this weekend. So a lot of upsets, a lot of shakeups as a result to the top 25. One of the biggest ones was Virginia Tech uh, beating Miami. They Miami had been number two in the country. Uh, you had a big matchup in the Pac-12 uh, with Stanford taking on UCLA. Uh, big one in the Big 12 with TCU knocking off Texas Tech uh lots of stuff to get to in the acc we're gonna try and get to it all here on today's edition of the baseball america college podcast joe uh i don't know it we we could start any number of places uh but first like let's just reset where we are with the top 25 uh, and how hard it was to put together 25 this week if you look at it over at baseballamerica.com the top 10 looks dramatically different than it was uh, a week ago, and, and, and there were just so many, so many upsets, and, and just not upsets, but top twenty-five teams still losing just around the country. It was it was a challenge this week.
2: Yeah, I'm glad in in a number of ways that it was the Easter weekend where most series go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because it it kind of gave, I feel, well, just speaking for myself, it kind of gave me time to process some of it before we kind of got down to brass tacks on Sunday and tried to put it together. Whereas in a typical week. If some of these series that involved ranked teams losing hadn't been decided until Sunday, and in some cases, you know, Sunday later in the day on the West Coast, it makes it really hard because we have to like scramble immediately into figuring out the top 25. And we might have been there until, you know, midnight doing so. So it was kind of nice that we we had some time to kind of process and, uh, you know, uh, look look at all the information and then be able to do it. Uh, you know put it together on Sunday having had the information for a while as opposed to kind of doing it almost in in real time but it was it was a carnage weekend you know what can you say I mean it just feels like that's kind of what we're dealing with this year outside of Tennessee which got its first kind of scare I guess over the weekend but um, it feels like the kind of season it's it's going to be at this point point. Um, and while that makes that, that while that makes our jobs a little bit more difficult on Sunday it does make it does make it fun to follow um and and keeps keeps uh, blood pressure high for coaches around the country which is another downside of it but um but yeah just um from start to finish you could kind of see it coming that it was going to be one of these types of weekends
1: yeah it started um i mean you could even take it all the way back to tuesday when tennessee saw its 23 game winning streak snapped in a loss to tennessee tech uh in a little in unique circumstances, as they were playing at the uh, A Tennessee Smokies ballpark and both teams were using wood bats and Tennessee had like four hits and lost three to two. Uh, so that was kind of just a weird start to the week. Then it carried over into Thursday. And I guess, Joe, let's start uh, with one of the, the bigger results of Thursday that carried over almost in mirror image on Friday. And that's Virginia tech knocking off Miami uh, Virginia Tech came out, scored a bunch of runs early, and just never looked back. And then they did it again on Friday, and Virginia Tech uh, becomes the first team since Florida, the first weekend of March, uh, to beat Miami. Miami had been coming off, of, or had a 14-game 14, 14 winning streak of their own coming into the weekend. Uh, that obviously went away there on Thursday. Virginia Tech, meanwhile, hasn't lost a series now. Uh, since the opening weekend of ACC play. uh, The the Hokies move into the top 25. They are number 11. Uh, This was a big result. Um, Doesn't actually change anything materially in the ACC standings. Miami is still far and away in first place, thanks in part to things that happen around them. Um, But it it is a huge deal for Virginia Tech as they're trying to get to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2013 this was a big step uh, towards realizing that kind of potential, but also just planting a flag and saying that, you know, it maybe you've been watching and hearing about how Virginia Tech hitting all these home runs, but it's, it's not just that this team, this team is more than just a, a, you know, a, a home run derby every game. They are, they are a really talented team. And they showed that this weekend against Miami.
2: Yeah. And they can do the home run derby thing, which is I think an asset in that, Look, I mean, we've seen this time and again in college baseball. If you have that kind of offense that can hit the ball out of the yard like that, it, it can be a little bit of a, a cheat code. It kind of gets you out of trouble. Now, it can also get you in some trouble if you get overly reliant on that. But at this point, this is a, to your point, this is a Virginia Tech offense that can score in a lot of ways. The home run is just a part of that. And it feels like the Hokies have been building to this weekend for a while. You mentioned, you know, losing a series to, to Georgia Tech back in, oh, about a month ago. But ever since then, they've kind of built up to it where they 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 win a series against Pitt. And at the time, you know, Pitt wasn't playing all that well. And we kind of just were like, eh, you know. And of course, now that, that one looks a little better. But then it had that series against Notre Dame, where the last two games got canceled. It Virginia Tech won one game in that weekend, but that ends up being kind of like a throwaway where we're just kind of like, okay, don't know what to make of that. Um, then they win a series on the road against North Carolina. Again, North Carolina starts to kind of Crater a little bit. They're not as good as we thought they were back in early March or mid-March or what have you. So we start to maybe dismiss that a little bit. But you know, last weekend they beat an NC State team that had been playing pretty well. And then of course this weekend they they beat Miami, which is the, the crowning achievement so far this season. So they the schedule was set up in such a way that it was going to take a little while for us to kind of take Virginia Tech seriously because there was always kind of a reason why it made sense that maybe they could win that series and it doesn't have to mean something. Bigger about Virginia Tech, but those days are are now over. Like we certainly have to take them seriously, and we are. Obviously the the offense is is the big thing here, uh, and that was that is always going to be the case with this team. But you know, the first two days of the weekend, at least, they also with Griffin Green and Drew Hackenberg. Like I also like the one two in the rotation. They pitched pretty well over the weekend, and um you know th- the depth is probably more of a concern on the mound for Virginia Tech. But that's a pretty good starting point when you can hit like they can, and you have pitchers on the first two days like they have.
1: Yeah, Virginia Tech has the second most home runs in the country, trailing only Tennessee. They uh have the the second best average as a team in the country, trailing only UNLV. They're scoring uh more than nine runs a game. Like they everyone on this team uh basically can run the ball out of the ballpark. That's how you have the second most home runs in the country. They have seven guys with an OPS north of a thousand. Uh it's uh it's kind of kind of insane when you look at the offensive numbers, but I think your point about the pitching is a really good, really important one. Uh, Green and Hackenberg um, both have been very consistent, very solid at the front of the rotation. Hackenberg is a freshman. You might be familiar with his older brothers. Uh, Christian uh, played quarterback at Penn state and uh, Adam uh, played at baseball at Clemson drew now uh stepped right into the rotation he i mean statistically he's he's arguably been uh, virginia tech's best starter and those two guys give them a chance those two guys combined with the offense give them a chance to match up really well with any team uh on a weekend they clearly have a bit of a sunday problem uh they haven't won uh a third they haven't won a serious finale in like a month um so I, that's a that's a bit of a concern. I don't think it's a massive concern. Joe and I have talked numerous times about well how 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 many teams really have a Sunday starter. How big a deal is it really? That's something that like as we get into the postseason, if that continues to be uh, a problem for Virginia Tech, I mean, I'll we'll take it more seriously. Then for now, though, I'm willing to just say like look this offense and those two starters. Uh, make this a, a very formidable team, and Miami found that out um, in in a big way this weekend. On the flip side of that, Joe, is that we've talked a lot about Miami's own one-two punch of Palmquist and Ligon, and how good they can be, and how good Miami's bullpen could be. This weekend, um, Virginia Tech really got to Palmquist and Ligon, and they uh, all, all of a sudden Miami didn't really have any answer for that they got punched in the face in those those first two games early and uh i mean i'm not saying the game was over once virginia tech scored those early runs but miami fought back into it on on thursday they didn't really on friday uh it was uh but but they never they never really got back into either one of those games and uh just just playing behind the eight ball all day was it was always going to be hard for them
2: Yeah. And this was, you know, we, we didn't really preview this series. We debated it. And then ultimately, ultimately didn't. And one of the things that we we talked about offline was that if this was the old version of Miami, because, you know, we'd spent the last few weeks talking about, Hey, this looks like a different Miami. They're just more consistent. They're winning on the road more than they normally do. Even if winning games at home is always going to kind of be their thing. They're winning on the road a little more consistently. Uh, You know, they're not really, they don't seem as subject to the ups and downs, And then, you know, we kind of talked offline that look, you know, if there was going to be a little bit of a let up like this weekend was like a, you know, flashing red light that that could happen here because it's not just that Virginia Tech is clearly good. It's that they can demoralize you, which kind of seemed like maybe that's what happened those first two days when they put up 25 runs in two games. although shouts to Miami for coming back and winning that third game. That's huge as a team looks to build a in, in Miami's case, a top eight resume not getting swept is a huge part of that. Um, but not only does Virginia Tech provide a particular challenge, but you're also going to Blacksburg, which is famously, first of all, a very different place than Coral Gables, but also just hard to get to. And it's going to be very different weather. And I didn't look at what the weather was, but I can guarantee you it was a little bit different than it was in in Miami. And there's just a lot of things that go into that that made this weekend a little bit of a trap for Miami. And so I was kind of convinced that I don't want to say Miami was above that, but just look, if they were going to be the team we, that we'd seen the first eight weeks of the season, they were going to be able to handle that. And they just, in this case, in this case, weren't. And it, I have to admit it as good as I thought Virginia tech was, especially offensively, I was a little bit surprised by that. Well, okay. So here's
1: one thing that maybe is becoming a situation maybe isn't. And I am sorry. I totally, we're, we're getting off track here. I I watch games on replay as, as we do this podcast, I currently have Vanderbilt Florida on and they just showed bill Belichick sitting in the stands in a Vanderbilt hat. And I am sure I am super late to the revelation that bill Belichick was at one of these Vanderbilt Florida games, but uh,
2: that happened. And you get, you get to hear my live reaction to that Uh, quickly on that. I, I, um, is he not, maybe you couldn't see in that shot. Is he not wearing like a puffy vest that on the, um, on the chest has his name. Like he's got like his own like puffy vest with his name on it. I'm rewinding. All right we can uh no he's you know,
1: wearing like a uh, blue chambray shirt. okay,
2: maybe the puffy vest was later that being in the um Tennessee press box this weekend meant that discussion of Vanderbilt was was you know happening and obviously they're paying attention to that kind of thing. So it did come up in the uh, Tennessee press box this weekend but it, it, to my eyes it looked as if he was wearing a puffy vest at one point. So Did I think I that was, I, I,
1: you were there on Friday. I'm pretty sure I'm watching, I am I'm watching the Saturday game. So I, that I it must have been the night before that you heard that discussion. So the, no. I, I guess I missed this on two nights. I don't know how I missed it on Friday. Understandable that I missed it on Saturday, but I don't know how I missed this on Friday. Anyway, to go back to, um, to what I was saying, I have a slight concern about Miami moving forward. And right now I would, characterize it just the way I said it it's slight but Carson Ligon has now given up 13 runs 12 earned in eight innings over the last two weeks after giving up just four runs three earned in 22 and a third over his first four ACC starts Ligon had been this incredibly consistent starter much the way that Drew Hackenberg as a freshman uh, has been for Virginia Tech Ligon another freshman had been that in that number two slot in Miami's rotation Carson Palmquist is not a guy that Miami is asking to go deep into games um, for whatever reason. Uh, You know, we can talk about how he spent most of his career as a reliever before this, whatever, they're not asking it of him. And he has gone at least six innings, just three times in nine starts this season. And then Alejandro Rosario, who has moved into that third spot in Miami's rotation uh, after being their opening day starter, has worked more than five innings just once this season. So all of a sudden, this Miami bullpen, which is very good, but they're being asked to carry an awful lot of this load. And if Ligan isn't able to correct here, um, I mean, Miami's pitching staff suddenly looks a little shakier. Now, the last two weeks they played Virginia and Virginia Tech, two teams, Virginia leads the nation in scoring. Virginia Tech is top ten. Like runs were always going to happen. This was always going to be a difficult stretch for a freshman, especially. But I don't know. This is this is a bit of a concern for me as I as I look at Miami now.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a good point, and it, it, it's kind of set up to just have to be that way, right? Unless they're going to start giving Palmquist more innings. But you would have thought they, if that was going to be the case, like they would have yeah, probably. I mean, we're already more
1: done. than halfway into the season.
2: Yeah, I mean now is usually a type the kind of time when you're maybe looking to. Try to shave some innings off to, to maybe, you know, keep the workload from getting too heavy as the postseason approaches. But with a freshman like Ligon, you're always going to have to manage that workload. And it seems like they've made a choice. And I think it's a smart one, but it seems like they've kind of made a choice with Rosario on Sundays that they're going to have a very quick ripcord on him, you know, and, and try to keep keep his outings positive and keep them short. Um, cause he's had good outings where he's thrown, like maybe it was this past weekend, I, but like four and a third where he gives up one run and then he's done. And so I think they're just being very quick with him. And so, um, I think that's a, I think it's a choice they're they're making. So, um, regardless, I think you're, I think you're onto something there where I think that is something to, uh, to, to watch moving forward here is, is, does that. Um, does that start to hamper them a little bit more as the bullpen starts to get a, get a little more exposure, both you know, both in a good and bad way? Um, that that is certainly something to watch.
1: All right, so uh, Virginia Tech definitely a team to watch uh, from here on out. Uh, they are they're hot um, and uh, they they have a uh, have a chance this weekend to keep that momentum rolling at Boston College. Uh, which is the worst team in the ACC right now? However, Virginia Tech is just five and five away from home, uh, so maybe a little bit tricky. Uh, but being able to go on the road at Boston College this weekend, follow this up would be would be a big deal for the Hokies. Uh, Miami, meanwhile, returns home to play Pitt, uh, looking to uh, to get back on track. Uh, all right, Joe, let's uh, let's head out west. Uh, UCLA and Stanford was uh, one of the best series uh, on paper coming into the the weekend. It was a top 15 matchup between those two. Uh, Stanford comes away victorious here. The Cardinal win on Thursday night. Uh, Then UCLA comes back on Friday, uh, the celebration of Jackie Robinson Day, notably of course uh, a UCLA alum and the Bruins play in a stadium named after Jackie Robinson. Uh, UCLA finds a way to to win that game uh, late, and then Stanford comes back, wins the series on Stan, on on standard Stanford Day on, on Saturday. Going away, they really brought out the bats in that one, uh, and the result is the Cardinal have a uh, have a really significant series win uh, coming out of Westwood.
2: Yeah, and it feels like Stanford is is now really kind of hitting its. Stride. We had we had waited on it and waited on it. And there'd been flashes. Obviously, the round rock weekend was was a positive step, but we'd kind of waited for Stanford to 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 take off running here. And it feels like maybe that's what's happening here. And and part of the reason why it hadn't happened at this point probably is the schedule had been fairly tough. You know, they've they've already played Arizona, although you know, now they're struggling. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but they've played Oregon State and now UCLA. So um, a lot of the tougher series are behind them, which and is also obviously good. News. They,
1: they have played every yes, contender, assuming yeah. like there are five teams within a game of each other at the top of the standings. Stanford has played them all. The the yeah. next team is Arizona state. And I don't want to minimize what Sun devils are. They're two games back. It just, you know, they they're under 500 overall. And it, it just doesn't feel like they are on the same level as those five teams. But uh, the four, the four real contenders that it looks like right now. Stanford's already done with them.
2: Yeah, I mean, just this, that's all good news for Stanford. Is they that it feels like they're hitting their stride and also getting into a part of the schedule that's going to be a little more conducive to them ripping something impressive off here. The first and third games of the series were about as close to perfect games not in a in a literal sense i mean that in a uh like uh, they played as well about as well as you could possibly play right they get great outings in game one from alex williams and then in the last game from quinn matthews and the offense was was good in both and i think the biggest thing that i take from it is that we've been talking a decent amount about you know they're, they're still waiting on brock jones to get going they're still waiting on on drew bowser and both of those guys had good weekends drew bowser hit a couple of home runs had six total hits In the three games, Brock Jones had had one massive game in in the finale with two home runs and four RBI, but he also had two hits in the first game of the series. And so uh, in stacking that on top of a pretty good weekend against Arizona State, like now maybe you're starting to see, you know, him being a little more impactful, uh, as opposed to just what he was before, which was, you know, taking some walks and, and doing you know doing things here and there but was a little more inconsistent maybe now you start to see him emerge a little bit it was also another good weekend for Braden Montgomery as he continues to kind of you know push back against the uh the freshman wall uh in that sense so not only are they those things are related right I mean the the guys we thought that were going to be a big part of this are maybe coming in rounding into form as Stanford as a team rounds into form but look if Stanford is going to you know, get back to Omaha and challenge for national title. Like they were eventually going to need those guys. And perhaps now we're seeing signs that those guys are, are on the way into getting, getting into the form we expect them to have at the beginning of the season.
1: Stanford really liked hitting in Westwood this weekend. Um, UCLA came in with the second best DRA in the, the country. Um, Stanford added like. some the... About half a run, I think it was, to UCLA's heart ERA this weekend. It was it was a really impressive performance. Braden Montgomery, who had started the season so well as a freshman, and you know, gone through some up and downs as as freshmen do, uh, he absolutely loved hitting in Jackie Robinson Stadium. It seemed like he he parked a couple of home runs onto the hitting structure uh, behind right field there, just absolutely moonshots. Uh, and there, there were big home runs too on on Thursday and Friday. And yeah, I mean, getting Brock Jones going, getting Drew browser going, the, these are going to be really big deals uh, for Stanford. And and so to to do it uh, against a UCLA pitching staff that is so good, especially to to close it out in a big way on Saturday in a in a rubber game, I I thought that was really significant. And the way that Quinn Matthews has stepped up again, uh, I mean, he's. Uh, he, he began the season as their number two starter. And then that kind of got out of whack because of how Stanford used him uh, against Oregon state. And, you know, he's been pushed to to the back of the rotation as, as a result of, uh, you know, trying to get him, you know, they, they relieved him at the start of that series and then brought him back as a, as a, a starter there in the third game. And so that that's pushed him to, to the back of the rotation. And he has, he's really taken to uh to whatever role they put him in lately and and that's uh that's been a big part of why Stanford has been able to uh to get right I feel like cuz don't forget i mean they lost the first two series of Pac-12 play now those were difficult series it was Oregon and at Arizona but uh they they did lose those and they've they've really been able to right the ship here and um you know like we mentioned the their series against the top contenders are over they still have four weeks of Pac-12 play to go uh, but they uh, they have the benefit now of not having to play these these other teams that seem like they're going to be competing with them for the Pac-12 title.
2: A thing that's both like a, a shortcoming and also they're in an advantaged position about right now is that the third game of the weekend, which right now is being started by Drew Dowd, is a big question mark. I mean, uh, this past weekend against UCLA, he threw an inning and a third, and that has been kind of trending that way recently. Now, he has had good outings this season um you know pitched actually pretty well against Oregon and Arizona early and really well against Washington State and the last three weekends though have been a lot tougher for him so that's the spot they need to kind of figure out I mean I think because they have Williams and Matthews pitching like they are I think Stanford's actually a team that's in a, a really good position to win a super regional but this is a team that it could have trouble closing out a regional right now because you do need the third guy in a regional like that's when that kind of comes up. And so it feels a little like in terms of what Stanford's well, trying to do here. Go ahead. I, I,
1: I mean I you got to imagine that they would reset slightly going into that. And also it shouldn't be lost that Stanford uh their RPI jumped 21 spots last week. Like with this the sweep or the, the the series win of UCLA and they're in a hosting range now. Like I will almost certainly have Stanford hosting this week. So
2: yeah and like four seed
1: you get to hold your one you know there are ways to massage this.
2: Yeah. You know, the four seat is Grand Canyon though, you, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like Grand Canyon's not gonna be a four and you know it. <laughs> well, I mean, you're probably right, but like, it's just <laughs> point being like, they, they've got about a month to try to figure out what they want to do with that. It, you know, and they've had some success at various times kind of doing a, a, a team day on the mound. Um, and maybe that, that maybe that is the way forward. I don't, I don't know, but, but largely they've got about a month here to kind of figure out what they want to do on that on that third day and how they want to approach that. It feels like that is kind of a little bit of a, a dangling question for them um, as, as they move forward, because you know, that that could be a place where they're a little bit, a um, little bit vulnerable on the mound.
1: The the other thing about Stanford with this, before we touch on UCLA here is that uh, Joe, you've noted, I don't think you've noted on the podcast, maybe you did, but certainly offline that they just haven't played midweek games. And so not only do they not maybe have a third starter, they don't really have a, fourth starter either um so i would be fascinated to see what they would do uh the pac-12 tournament is probably going to be revealing in some ways although dave esker has never coached in a conference tournament so i have no idea how he would approach it uh how he will approach it so uh a lot to be learned here down the stretch about stanford I, i it's a it's a very important point and i think probably makes you know stanford their their need i Need is strong, but that they, they would really want to host, I would think, so, just so you can get out of a two-three game uh, on that first day.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it will also be related to the idea that, es- that Coach Esker has not coached in a in a conference tournament situation. You know, he. Um, I'd be curious. This is something I could research and go back and look at. um although you know they they weren't hosting at Cal when he got them to regionals it's really just been since he's at Stanford that he's been hosting but i i'd be curious to go back and look at how they've played regionals because you know i, I would wonder if he's the kind of guy that throws an ace on friday regardless of the opponent um so you know that that's something i could obviously research and, and look at and i wish i'd done that before we started recording here but um but so, something to look at there because if they if they do play that straight up obviously you throw that out um but that of course is one of the infinitely interesting things about regional weekend is it does for host teams it does create based on who your four is and the way you like to approach regionals it, it does give you an interesting question to answer about how you want to approach your pitching
1: uh so on ucla here losing on sunday or saturday the way that they did that's tough um we know right now uh or you know we've talked about how without um you know they're 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 trying to figure the third spot out following Thatcher Hurd's injury. Looks like they're still working through that, and I, it's just kind of shocking to see UCLA give up eleven runs. I don't want to make too much out of this weekend. They've UCLA has played some really tough teams. They've played them well, and you know they lost on Saturday, and so therefore they lose this series. But I, I don't think anything materially changed for UCLA. Except that I mentioned that Stanford made a big RPI move. This would have been an opportunity for UCLA to do the same. Instead, they fall. Uh, They're currently 51 and that's bad. And, you know, for a West Coast team, it's not a problem for making a regional Uh, It might get UCLA seated as a three if it doesn't improve, I would expect it to improve, but uh, I think it is going to be really hard to have a home regional if you're UCLA now unless they just basically intend on not losing the rest of the season, so that might have gone out the window this weekend we'll see, but uh, it it does seem like uh, a a bit of a missed opportunity here for, for the Bruins.
2: No doubt. And it it showed, you know, while it is shocking to see them allow nine and 11 runs in a couple of games this weekend, they also didn't score in those games. I mean, Stanford could have scored three and two runs and that would have been the same outcome. So it, it did show that against good pitching, which Stanford has at least two of those guys that would qualify as, is top line pitching. Um, that's just kind of the risk that UCLA is, is going to run this season is, is they can, they can get beat in games like that, um, that are, that are low scoring. And as we know, if you depress the score, it does increase the level of variability in in the outcome.
1: Yeah. Just eight runs on the weekend for UCLA. That is not good. They won another one run game though. They are.
2: <laughs> yeah. They, they got that figured out. <laughs> Do not
1: play a one run game against UCLA. <laughs> yeah. You will lose. Uh, you got to you got to find a way to get a slight bit of separation there. Uh, all right. Plenty more to talk to uh talk about uh, around the country. I guess before we do that, Joe, like let's quickly touch on the rest of the Pac-12. Uh, Arizona lost again and they lost at Utah. And there's not a whole lot of shame in that. Joe and I have been talking about Utah's drive for eight borrowing. You're referencing the solid verbal when you say that, right, Joe?
2: yes as it turns out i actually couldn't remember where that, that was from um but yes i guess i am i guess that is what that's from
1: yeah that, that's their drive for six which is of course bowl eligibility utah's drive for eight when we when we talk about that which we're now introducing here this has not been a previously part of the podcast but i'm i'm bringing it to the podcast joe uh drive for eight would be utah trying to qualify for the pac-12 tournament which would be a pretty significant step for a program that uh hasn't finished. Eighth more than I think once. And that was the year they won the Pac-12s. Um they've been in the Pac-12 for about a decade now.
2: I did look it up actually that it would have been twice. So it was um the year, yes, the year they won the the title. And the next year they were still pretty good, but it was like fourth or fifth in the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, so like twice in 10 years. Uh so it would be a significant deal for for Utah to qualify for the Pac-12 tournament. And it looks like they might, like they are they are a legitimately solid team. And they're giving good teams problems, and this weekend they won a series against Arizona, and that on itself wouldn't be that big a deal. However, Arizona has now lost back-to-back Pac-12 series against Washington State and Utah, and Washington State is the last place team in the Pac-12, and Utah is eighth. And, you know, Arizona is now in the same mess at the top of the standings that everyone else is in, and... Unfortunately for Arizona, they now have missed two pretty great opportunities to create a little bit of separation. If they just win both of those series, I'm not talking about sweeping, just talking about them adding two wins. I mean, they would be alone at the top of the pack 12 and everyone would be having to chase Arizona instead. They're in the mess with everyone else. Uh, they've seen their RPI slip all the way to 47. This was a team that was in the top 10 uh, two weeks ago. Uh, if you can, hosting is again probably out the window for this team at this point unless they're going to completely turn things around uh so it's um it's not i it's just a weird spot because the other thing joe is that oregon oregon state stanford they're surging ucla is coming off of this tough series loss to stanford but uh you know has played pretty well uh that was their first series loss since opening weekend of pac-12 play and meanwhile arizona's hit a mid-season skid against what should have been an advantageous part of their schedule.
2: Yeah. I mean, they should be winning the PAC 12 right now, you know, and it shouldn't, they should be a couple games clear. Probably. Um, I say should, you know, obviously we, I mean,
1: they should be a game and a half clear two more wins would mean they'd be a game and a half clear at the top of the PAC 12. And obviously you can feel like maybe one of those should have been a sweep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would have get, yeah. You make me guess. I say they go five and one in those two series. You know, I, maybe they, the Utah series was on the roads. Okay. Let's give Utah a game there. Yeah, but you would have expected them to sweep Washington State at home. Just a tough, tough uh, section of schedule there. I mean, and it's, it's some of the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks with Arizona when we, when we have talked about them. It's the offense pretty top heavy at this point. Guys like Noah Turley and Chase Davis have, fallen off as conference play has has gotten going you know they got a guy like tony bullard back healthy but he hasn't you know been doing it offensively and tyler casagrande hasn't stepped up so you, you've got you know susac and tanner Trimba and, and mac bingham swinging it pretty well but that's about it really and then on the mound you know, you felt pretty good about TJ Nichols and Garrett Irvin and, you know, and Garrett Irvin still kind of does his thing. Like he kind of is who he is. Like he's going to get got periodically because his stuff isn't great. So if he's not locating or what have you, you know, he's going to get hit a little bit, but TJ Nichols has given up 16 runs in his three last last three starts. And so he's gone from a month ago looking like, Hey, you know, this, this guy, if he finishes, like he started, he could be the Pac-12 pitcher of the year Um, that has fallen off. And he just hasn't been as effective. And this was always going to be an offense first team. So at least when you had those two guys, at the front of the rotation, plus, you know, a Trevor Long and a Quinn Flanagan in the bullpen, you felt like, okay, we've got, you know, four, maybe five guys here. If you throw in a couple of others that we feel really, really good about. And that has, uh, at least on the starting side has, has lagged a little bit over the last few weekends. Uh, Quickly, Joe, who's winning the pack 12. (laughs) Uh, uh, let me pull it up Uh, Oregon state. Let's, let's go Oregon state without looking at the schedules. I mean, they've just, uh, they've just been, it feels like one of the more consistent teams there. Um, again, I I don't know what the the schedule looks like necessarily by heart, but, um, I've got a little bit of trust there that their offense really hasn't lagged. I mean, that's the best thing that they've got going for them. Even with the pitching injuries, the offense has always held up. It's into the bargain. They're getting a little bit healthier on the mound. Um, so that is helpful. So let's go, let's go with uh, Oregon State. Kudos to Oregon though by the way just doing what they're doing because speaking of injuries like it has not been easy for Oregon and there are a lot of teams that we've about which we've talked about the injury bug and fighting through injuries and maybe cutting them some slack and understandably so I'm not saying we shouldn't but but Oregon's kind of the counter to that which is like they just keep winning games even though it hasn't been easy and like you know they're they're not getting great starting pitching but they're just figuring it out. Um, so kudos to Oregon. I don't know how sustainable this is going to be, but they're already, they've already advanced further at the top of the PAC 12 than I thought they would given some of the struggles they've had.
1: Yeah. You and I keep saying like, I don't know how sustainable this is for Oregon. And I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, you know what, maybe they just could do this and you know, they're still missing their opening day starter at a mayor and not expected back. And you know, I, or not expected back anytime soon. I don't think they've officially ruled them out, but I mean it, it, it they're right there with everyone else and they have a top 10 RPI and you know I it's it's remarkable I I like you though I think I would have to go with the beavers, um, but I don't want to rule Stanford out right now the way that they're playing and the fact that they've already you know got the 11 wins on the board um, and still have you know and, and have already gotten done with the the, the top contenders they're the only one, of the top contenders that can say that. So uh, I think it's going to come down to those two as, as we thought it would coming into the year. Uh, Stanford does have the tiebreaker already. So uh, potentially um, you could talk me into the Cardinals for sure, but, or the Cardinal, excuse me. uh, But I I would probably also lean Beavers right now. Uh, Fascinating race to follow uh, as, as we hit the stretch run. All right, so plenty more to get to around the country. Uh, We're going to do that here in a second. But first, check this out.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed. All
1: right, Joe, let's uh, pick things back up where you were this weekend, and that was in Knoxville. Uh, Sorry to your one day in Cookville. I don't think we're going to get to Tennessee Tech uh, and SEMO here, but uh, let's talk about about the Vols. Uh, Tennessee was playing Alabama. uh, Mentioned at the top of this that they lost uh, on Tuesday to Tennessee Tech, uh, ending their 23-game winning streak. They still came into the weekend, however, with a 12-game SEC winning streak. Uh, unprecedented start to SEC play in in conference history. And then uh, Alabama messed that up as well for them on Friday uh, as the Tide become the first SEC team to beat Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee comes back, wins the next two games of the series. Saturday had a lot of fireworks. Three coaches were ejected, including Tennessee head coach Tony Patello. That was in the first inning. Uh, but Tennessee unbothered went on and, and, and won the next two days and won the series and remains number one. Um, not a whole lot. We haven't said about Tennessee to this point, they overcame another poor start by Chase Burns. They didn't actually win the game, but they overcome it. You know, it, it, it doesn't ruin the weekend. Um, I guess what, what are your overall takeaways having, uh, having been in Tennessee this weekend?
2: I think there was value in seeing Tennessee not just have close calls because they had close calls last weekend against Missouri. And I I wrote after the opener of the series that Missouri walked so that Alabama could run because (laughs) uh, Missouri came close three times. And Thursday or Friday's opener, I keep getting mixed up because of the different days, but Friday's opener was very similar to the games Missouri played against Tennessee And Alabama was just able to get it done, whereas Missouri couldn't. And so, but I thought it was valuable to see Tennessee deal with that adversity. And I kind of thought, you know, early in Saturday's game, when when Dolander gets hit with the the line drive, and then you have, you know, Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello ejected within 30 seconds of each other. I kind of had a thought. And oh, by the way, like Dolander is, is clearly in pain. And they send Camden Sewell down to the bullpen to warm up, which signaled that hey like we don't think bill lander is coming back i kind of had a thought of like well this weekend might just kind of like really get away from them because alabama had hit the ball pretty well on friday not just against chase burns but generally they were making pretty good contact like they were having good at bats um and of course this is
1: an alabama team that just swept on this in oxford a week ago
2: yeah i mean this is and and the, the the feeling around tennessee just talking to like the guys who cover that team day by day that their feeling was that you know, this was the best team that Alabama was going to be the best team that Tennessee had seen at least at home. And I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, Alabama is just a very solid team and I come out of the weekend still thinking that a team that just kind of knows who they are and um, really even keeled about it, which is a hard thing when you go into Tennessee and there's all the emotion and the, the noise and the, all of it. It's a hard thing to kind of, to stay that way in Knoxville. And they, they did it with the when to start the series anyway. Um, so that, I think there was there was value in that seeing that from Tennessee and, and certainly their answer the last two days was emphatic. The offense came alive. They got you know good offensive days from a lot of guys, ranging from you know Jordan Beck with a two home run game to Jorel Ortega had a big weekend. Um, they got a little a little bit from a lot of different guys, um, and that has been the, the Tennessee way this year. It will be interesting to see what they do on the mound moving forward, in a few different regards. First of all, uh, shout out Wes Rucker247. I saw him tweet yesterday that it was, it was pretty vague, but he just said, you know, uh, from what I understand, the, the doleander injury is not as bad as it could be. I don't exactly know what that means, <laughs> but it does sound to me like he will return. Maybe it'll be some time. That's kind of my read on that. However, he, you know, he's been very good for them. So that does kind of create a hole. And then also, you know, this is two weekends in a row where Chase Burns has really struggled uh, on Fridays. And you know, he's another freshman who could be getting to that point where he's he's having to break through a freshman wall. And he's been good enough and his stuff is good enough. They're going to want him to continue to be a part of a mix, right? Like they want him to be a guy for them in a regional, super regional, and potentially in Omaha. So they've got to kind of figure out how to manage that. Like, I'm not saying they're gonna just, you know, bury him at this point. But you do have to start asking, Do you move him back in the rotation? Maybe the Dolander injury is an opportunity to slide him back a day or a couple of days. Move Drew Beam up. Drew Beam continues to pitch pretty well. There's that. Blade Tidwell um, has thrown a little more. He's not really been stretched out. But are you going to eventually move him back into the rotation at some point if you're Tennessee? Uh, Maybe this is an opportunity to do that. Um, the injury to Olander plus Burns' struggles, like, seems like that might be an opportunity to try that and see how that goes. So that's going to be the thing to watch for Tennessee, especially given that this is a team that just answered every question they've been presented with so far. So you know, you kind of run out of uh, ways to kind of continue to talk about it. But this is kind of an interesting wrinkle they haven't necessarily had to deal with, and they've obviously fought through it this weekend. But um, there are definitely some questions on the mound that they're going to have to contend with as they move forward. The fact that Tidwell
1: is running around um, potentially ready to, to, to take on a bigger role or at least take on more innings makes that it, it, it's a it's a huge deal for Tennessee going through something like this. The the challenge for Tennessee, though, is that they're dealing with burns now being uh you know coming off of back-to-back uh short starts and dolander at the same time because to move beam up two days would be challenging i think you would you would have to know going into uh this weekend in florida that he's not going to be able to go as deep into games as, as he has been uh if you're taking two days of rest away from him you know you would like to make that move more gradual so you know maybe that's you move him up a day if dolander can't go this weekend you move him up a day and TBD Sunday and you hope that you can hold Tidwell back and then see what he can give you. And then let the rest of your really talented bullpen do the, do the job uh, the rest of the way. I don't know. There are a lot of ways to go about it. And with the uncertainty of Dolan right now, uh, completely impossible for us to know how, how it'll go. But this uh, always was going to be a big weekend against Florida. uh, Even if the Gators have been struggling at times this year, Um, you know, going down to Gainesville is not easy and now dealing with what they're dealing with. And also Tony Vitello will be suspended for the first two games of that Florida series because he was ejected because he made contact with an umpire that triggers a four game suspension. He served the first of that in the finale. They play Bellarmine midweek and then he'll have two games suspended at Florida. Uh, so just a lot going on there, um, this weekend, a lot of decisions to work through, uh, for Tennessee. Flip side, Joe, Alabama, um, you know, made a lot of noise a week ago when they swept Ole Miss. Um, made some more noise on Thursday. Clearly is a better team than what they were last year. And that team made regionals. What um what I don't want to say what's the ceiling, but you know, what where where do you see Bama going from here now?
2: I think it's a I think it's a good, not great team. Like it's it's a good team, I think, that is kind of playing at the top of its um, what it can, what it can be right now. Um, but is clearly a step back from the, from the best in the sec. I think they, because of the sec has been a little bit convoluted and a little bit, uh, bunched up in the middle. I think they've been able to take advantage of that a little bit. And look, you, you come out of road series against Ole Miss and Tennessee going four and two, kind of regardless of how that shook out, like you'll take that. And so they, they will, Head back home, uh, understanding they did they did a good job getting through these uh, last couple of weeks in the in the way that they did. Um, th- my concern with them is that I just don't know. Well, I, I'll start with what I what I really like. I think it's a, a pretty good offense, like one through nine. They've got a lot of guys who do a lot of different things. If they could get Owen Diodati going, he hit a couple home runs uh, the first game of the series, and then last. Two games he went 0 for seven. That has kind of been the Owen Dodati experience at Alabama, so that would be a big thing. I really like Zane Denton. He's you know somebody that the Tennessee coaching staff Josh Elander specifically called out in post game after the after the game on Saturday as just a really good hitter. So I like him. Jim Jarvis is kind of a fun player at the front of the at the lineup. So I I do like their lineup kind of one through nine. It's it's a lineup without a superstar I would say unless you want to define Zane Denton that way. So I like that. Um, I do like some of the looks they give you in the bullpen. Hunter Hoops is an interesting guy. Brock Duffy, the lefty from a low slot. My concern, though, is that I just don't know if they have enough stuff on the mound, right? And this is the problem we've talked about before. This is the the where Connor Prelip would have helped <laughs> because, you know, they've got basically three, you know, kind of pitchability guys. And, and Grayson hit, I ha- think, maybe has a touch more stuff there. But, you know, the first Jays with Millen and McNary, it's not a lot of stuff. And McMillan is just a really gutsy guy who's done a really nice job on Fridays, has actually turned himself into something approaching a dude on the Friday on Friday nights in the SEC. and he he did it again this friday this past Friday, gutting it out. But McNary got hit around pretty good the second game, and then Grayson hit really got hit around in the finale. And so they they just have to kind of survive some of those starts and win games a different way. But that's kind of my concern is that I just, I just don't know if there's enough stuff in the rotation for them to consistently win games once they get into a postseason where you're just going to be facing mostly good offenses the rest of the way. We will see where
1: Alabama goes from here. I feel like they've made some strides already in season. I watched a lot of their series against Texas early on, and um, it, it does seem like they're an improved team from there. So we'll see what they can do now uh, over the final Final uh, five, six weeks here before the postseason begins. Elsewhere in the SEC, A&M uh, went to Georgia and won a series. Uh, Arkansas swept LSU. South Carolina beat Ole Miss. That was a big deal for the Gamecocks, also a big deal for the Rebs. Uh Mississippi State uh, got a series win against Auburn. That was huge for the Bulldogs. Vanderbilt beat Florida. That was a pretty big deal. Uh, for both of those programs. Uh not none of that was really like earth shattering, I would say. The AM series win was maybe the biggest deal of it all. Uh for me. AM looking very good to make the postseason at this point. Georgia clearly fighting it on the mound. They again did not have Jonathan Cannon, and they're they're very clearly just short right now. Uh, getting cannon back, which I believe the the hope is maybe next week against Alabama. Uh, That would be a really big deal for Georgia, but um, what, what what stood out to you, Joe?
2: I thought Arkansas sweeping LSU was impressive because, you know, Arkansas just kind of continues to, to be like a snake in the grass. And I think some of the reason why we overlook them is just, it still doesn't really feel like they are fully operational. Right. Um I would say what it, they do to me feel a little fully operational.
1: Uh, they just haven't really played any massive series cuz they just I this one could have been, it was a top 25 series, but it, they just took care of business so quietly and uh you know they they got upset once last week by Florida, but they they just they just go about their business and and they do their thing. Uh you know, unlike some other teams, you know they they don't have the flashy, splashy numbers or the, you know, Connor Nolan is a really nice Friday starter, but he's not, you know, he's not a guy we're talking about as a, a potential first round or anything. So they, they just, I, I, the way that they're built, they're they're just able to kind of go under the radar unless they were going to start hitting a bunch of home runs. And to this point, I, I think that's what you're talking about not being fully operational. And I mean, I, I we, we've said it many times at this point in the season, you kind of are what you are, and right now, Arkansas doesn't seem like that kind of team, but they're still a really, really good one.
2: Yeah, it's uh, and it, it's it's a shame that we're, we're not going to get a Tennessee Arkansas in the regular season. But hopefully, I, I hope for your sake when you're in Hoover that you get a matchup there because not only are those two very good teams, but those are those are two teams that are going to very much be there for the uh, for the smoke, as they say. Um, but yeah, I so I, that was an impressive sweep. Arkansas continues to show that hey, they're a better team on the mound. Um, it was, it was a bounce back start for Hagan Smith in the rotation. Um, so that was, that was good there. And offensively, like a couple things stand out to me. One is again, we've said this before, where would this team be without transfers and Chris Lanzilli and Michael Turner, like two of their better hitters all season long. Um, so that the, the transfer portal has come in clutch for Arkansas in the lineup. Uh, Brady Slavin's also swinging the bat a little bit better as of late. He was a guy who was under 200 as of the, when they played Missouri, so he has come on. That is helpful. He's a guy they're just frankly going to need. And and part of the reason why they just need him is you pointed this out to me. Not a lot of not a lot of depth offensively for Arkansas. They're kind of the opposite of Tennessee, where you know, Tennessee has guys on the bench that, you know, if this were professional baseball, they could trade for a, a whole bunch of prospects because they are ready for uh ready for prime time and just don't, you know, guys like Christian Moore and Blake Burke, like just they're just hard at bats for them. Arkansas is kind of in another place where um, they just don't, their guys are their guys and they're, you know, they're just going to run those guys out there. Um, and it, it's worked to this point. Um, and, and having a guy like Slavin's getting going is is certainly helpful.
1: Yeah. Arkansas has played like 11 dudes, like literally. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. Um, Ole Miss losing to South Carolina, Joe, I, the, you know, it, it, it kind of defies logic here that, that, Ole Miss has put themselves in, in the situation that they're in, but they uh, they're now five and ten in the SEC. No one has a worse record than Ole Miss. Mizzou and Kentucky also are five and ten, but no one has less SEC wins than Ole Miss. I mean, like you have to press the panic button now, right? If if you're one of the Ole Miss fans that hadn't done it already, I mean, like th- this is this is the time, right?
2: Yes, yeah, it is. Because like good luck making up ground. Like even even if we're going to concede that like uh the this the squishy middle of the SEC is apparent this year, like well, I mean it's just it's so hard to claw back in the SEC. And they they've got a schedule that like, look, you can squint your eyes hard enough. I mean, they've still got, you know, series against Missouri and and I mean, they play Mississippi
1: State at home this weekend. If they are serious about making the postseason, they have to win this weekend. There is no way – like, there's not no path because there's always a path for an SEC team, but there is basically no path if they don't win the the rivalry series this weekend. They need eight wins at least from – you know the from now until the end of hoover and they probably need more like nine or ten from now until the end of hoover and i don't know how you get that if you don't pick up the the home week if you don't win your home weekends
2: yeah that that is key but yes the panic the the panic button has been pressed and i think you know fans of that program probably pressed it a lot sooner (laughs) than, than you and i did frankly there's a lot of um you know, they don't, nobody needs us to say this, but like it's a um, big season in Oxford for, for a lot of reasons in terms of, you know, needing to get this uh, turned around.
1: Yeah, it, it is, uh, it's just very strange to see this weekend, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State are playing and that's very exciting. Love that rivalry. It's for, but it's not for first place in the SEC West. It's for last place in the SEC West. Um, last thing before we move on from the SEC, Joe, uh, other side of the Mississippi, uh, other side of the Magnolia state, Mississippi state beats Auburn, you know, Mississippi state has a lot more RPI work to do than Ole Miss. Like they not only need wins, they need RPI to improve. And as you win games in the sec, that naturally happens. So the, 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 the they'll shake the, 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 you know, they're, they're going to shake each other's hand on that, but, um, it was still a big deal for them to to go out win this series against Auburn. I thought it was pretty gutty the way that they did it. Um, on the flip side, good on Auburn for making sure they didn't get swept. and they still are uh, tied for second in the SEC West. So I, anything Auburn had on the table last week, I feel is still there. I wouldn't project them as a host right now. I did a week ago, but they uh, it, it doesn't it was not catastrophic that they went to Starkville and lost a series.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And salvaging, again, big. If you're going to host or, or whatever you want to do in the SEC, not getting swept is, is huge. This is always going to be a tough weekend. For one, I just think the idea that Mississippi State was just going to kind of go quietly into the night the rest of the season, despite their shortcomings, like I don't think that was ever going to happen. And then also this was Super Bulldog weekend. That's always a tough weekend um, in Starkville, even in years when Mississippi State isn't particularly good. So that was always going to be a tough one for Auburn. So getting out of it with a win, I think they will certainly, certainly take that.
1: Alrighty. Uh, We had a top 20 ACC matchup in Tallahassee. Louisville went down there, played Florida state and got swept Florida state with a huge get right week. They beat Florida on Tuesday. They sweep Louisville on the weekend. It was absolutely what the Knowles needed um we probably should have gotten it to way to this way earlier in the podcast but on the other hand these games just weren't close florida state controlled it the whole whole weekend and uh you know it it, it was the kind of series that i expected to watch a lot of and wound up watching almost none of
2: yeah the acc um never never really short on uh just wackiness nacy like i just it's um, it's not exactly the same conference as last year because the the quality is better and because of a lot of different reasons. Like they're they're going to be in a better position in the postseason than they were last year, but it is the same conference as last year in that, you know, by the time we get to this this time of year, with the exception of like, sorry BC, with the exception of like BC, I would believe basically any res- you could pick two teams out of a hat, and then put them randomly at who is home and who is away. And I would still believe just about any result in the ACC. Now that does not necessarily commentary on this series, although I guess it is. Um, (laughs) But uh, because I, you know, even at home, I would not have expected Florida state to sweep this series, but um, that is where we're at in the ACC. And you're right that for the most part, it was just controlled. I mean, the finale looks close Four late runs for Louisville. So I guess it was close. It's 10, nine, but that was controlled for seven innings by Florida state until Louisville made it interesting late. So, um, so there, there's that there, but yeah, it was a return to form for, for Florida state. It kind of shows that anybody who was super worried about the pitching and, and thought maybe that the, the, the ground was shifting underneath the rotation for, for Florida state, that that was a little bit premature, even if the third spot is a concern at this point, I think we can say that with 100% certainty, but at least in the first two spots in the rotation with, with Messick and Hubbard, it was a return to form. And, and look, that's just going to be the formula for Florida state moving forward. So this was absolutely massive. On the flip side, Louisville has
1: now lost two of its last three series. Um, they're really struggling away from home. Ultimately, like th- th- there's really no way around that. Um, seen that from Louisville before certainly, but um, definitely definitely, is the case this year? Their RPI fell all the way to 43. They're still in first place in the division, um, but there that that there's no separation. You want there are five teams in that division within a game of each other, uh, so absolutely no separation at all. The fact that they're in first place now doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything. Uh, I don't know what to make of this team anymore um you know we talked last week about how they could have lost the series very easily to north carolina at which point they would have lost three straight acc series to their credit they didn't but the team that beat or that swept notre dame uh a month ago now i don't know what happened to it and look it's possible that notre dame just also isn't that good notre dame on the other hand swept florida state in tallahassee two weeks ago uh the uh, on the other hand, Notre Dame also was just swept at Duke. Like I don't know what to make of anything in the ACC, but I I, I, I don't know what to make of Louisville right now. They've got a big weekend uh, at home against North Carolina State. They have a big week. Period. They have Kentucky and then North Carolina State all at home. Uh, they're going to need they're going to need a bounce back. The way that Florida State got a bounce
2: back uh, this week. Agreed. And it you know some of the old bugaboos that I kind of questioned when I saw Louisville early this season that they had shored up for a while have now kind of come back around. They didn't play particularly good defense over the weekend, particularly in the game that that poor Jared Poland started where he gave up six runs, all of them unearned. Now, he also gave up six hits and three walks. So it's not like it's not like it was, you know, he was just cruising. But, you know, six unearned runs against Jared Poland in a game where, you know, Florida State ends up scoring nine runs. If you take those unearned runs off the board, I know it's not that simple. Um, you know, but in theory, Louisville wins that game. Um, so the defense was, was not super clean. And then also, you know, in a related note that the starting pitching has started to slip again, you know, they, they went to Caleb Corbett instead of Tate Keener this time around, it did not go particularly well for, for Corbett in that start. We talked about Poland and then Riley Phillips an inning and inning in a third in the, in the finale. And so that looked like it had been a short up unit. Um, you know, it looked like, you know, frankly, Poland was one of the better stories in college baseball. A guy who's just been so up and down, uh, for the Cardinals in his career, finally maybe figuring it out. Um, and maybe that's still the case, but it, it has not been easy the last few weeks. And so, those those things that I was concerned about in Louisville in week one that looked like had gotten a little bit better, um, have now started to backslide a little bit. And, and water seems to be finding its level.
1: RPI down to 43, it's gonna be really hard to host, not impossible. They have away they 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 still go on the road to play vanderbilt wake forest and virginia tech they also still play virginia uh all of those are really high rpi teams and you win those games and your rpi is going to shoot back up but on the other hand they're high rpi teams for a reason so uh, a challenging road if louisville wants to play at home this postseason and again louisville is now uh six and seven away from jim patterson stadium hard to feel confident about Louisville if they're not playing at home. Uh, okay, so, Joe, we uh, we talked about Louisville and Arizona and their, their tough series losses. Texas lost a series at Kansas State. Notre Dame, I just mentioned, was swept at Duke. Um, who are we concerned about the most here? Uh, what – none of this is good. Texas is now 500 in the big 12 still have a great rpi still have a real chance to host but like on the other hand k-state was one and eight in the big 12 coming into this weekend uh notre dame has the rpi to host much like texas they're they're top 10 in the rpi but they're eight and seven in conference play and um i just have these weird couple really weird weekends uh in which they got swept at at louisville and at duke uh arizona we talked about louisville we talked about I, ooh, who are we most concerned about here, I guess?
2: Well, so I guess my answer is Notre Dame. And if 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 I could talk through it real quick, like maybe because I, I think my answer is Notre Dame, maybe by the time I talk this out, I'll feel differently because I think it's kind of two different cases. Texas feels a little to me like last year's Florida, right? Where they they come in number one in the country where Florida was a you know, basically, there was no other option last year. It was, it was obviously Florida. We felt pretty similarly about Texas this year, and Florida last year just from basically from the jump, it, Texas looked really strong first three weeks, and then injuries happened. Maybe that's the key difference there. But Florida from the jump last year just clearly was not as good as we thought they would be. Texas took a little longer, and again, took maybe some injuries. I mean, let's just be. It, Tanner Witt injury. When we say injuries, like that's really what we're talking about there with Texas is Tanner Witt's injury. But, um, you know, I don't want to dismiss Austin Todd being out for a while, but like, that's the big one. So they've kind of had this, these struggles and they just don't, they just haven't been as good as we expected. They haven't been putting teams away. Uh, series just haven't been easy, but yet you mentioned the RPI is still right there. Like it still feels like a team that's going to find their way to hosting, even if it's kind of uninspiring and we're just kind of like, eh, and we wouldn't be shocked if, if, if maybe they just get upset in a regional, right? The thing with Notre Dame though, that I say I'm a little bit more concerned about is it, it it, it feels like some of the things that we were somewhat quick to just kind of dismiss maybe is too strong a word. But at the end of last year, we, we, we kind of quickly said, well, that, you know, they don't have Nico Cavadas in the lineup. And like that's a big deal, but they return basically everybody else. Maybe they'll be a little more dynamic offensively. Um, but now you look at it, and they're not really any more dynamic. Like they've stolen 39 bases, okay, um, you know, but their are on base percentage isn't like pushing over 400 to where they've got a lot of traffic. And they've lost that element in the lineup of being able to hit a three run home run. And so, like maybe that was a bigger loss than I was willing to to admit at the time and then on the flip side uh first off shout out to John Michael Bertrand who is a guy who has gone from like last year being like yeah he throws strikes and he competes and like you know basically talking around the fact that like his stuff isn't great and he kind of just gets the job like this year he's become like a real guy so like shout out there but um you know last year they were using five or six guys and it kind of feels like slowly but surely after at the start of the season it looked like they had found some additional depth on the mound and that they were going to be working with a little bit more in that regard. Like here they are back to kind of feeling like they're just a couple of guys short on the mound and they made that work last year. And um, maybe they figure it out again as, as time goes on, but um, it it does seem like a, an area when they're, where they're a little bit vulnerable is if they're just kind of rolling out the, the same guys week after week. So I'm most concerned
1: about Arizona. The thing about Texas and Notre Dame and your points are, are mostly, ones that i i would agree with well to be um, fair
2: to be fair i uh so yes out of the three checked out on arizona <laughs> we already talked about arizona so i kind yeah. of moved on from arizona i also would give you the arizona answer because like yes they lost utah and wazoo but um yes please, please continue
1: yeah so i mean my thing with with texas and like we can we can just move on from arizona we, we did talk about them but louisville is in a similar boat here Those two teams have really hurt their RPIs over the last two weeks. I'm much more concerned about Arizona's RPI than Louisville, because as I laid out, Louisville has these games against difficult competition. They're going to have to win them, but in the ACC, you're just better set up to have RPI success than you are in the Pac-12. But both of those teams are really struggling away from home. I'm not here to say, obviously Notre Dame is as well and texas hasn't been amazing away from home either um all three of texas's series losses notably have been on the road so these are all teams that it sure seems like they need to play at home in the postseason if they're gonna be serious about doing anything here i mean the the teams with top 10 rpis like i'm just gonna trust that they win enough games to make that work and you know, if they keep slipping, they'll lose those RPIs and then then that'll be a different situation. But right now, I think that both of those can salvage it so that they can host. I don't see them getting upset at home in regionals, though Texas, if they do host, is sure to have a very challenging field. Uh, come to Austin, starting with the fact that Texas State is almost guaranteed to be in their regional. Uh, and we know that the Bobcats are a pretty good team. Um, and, it, it, you know, Notre Dame's not going to necessarily have an easy regional either. But right now, I feel better about those teams because I feel better about them hosting. Louisville, their entire hosting case basically is, hey, we swept Notre Dame. At some point, that's not going to be enough anymore. And that that, that point, it, you know, is rapidly approaching. They're going to have to win games down, down the stretch. They're going to have to play better away from home if They're gonna do this. And I just don't know that I feel confident right now in Louisville's ability to, to flip that and the way that they're pitching. You know, I don't understand what happened this weekend in Durham at all. Like I, I watched more of that series than I would have ever imagined. I do not understand what happened. Um, but I understand what happened in Tallahassee, and you know, I've we, we've seen this the the we, we've seen that before out of Louisville. So getting that corrected just feels like a bigger problem right now than fixing what Texas and Notre Dame are dealing with. All right, uh, let's move on from, uh, from these teams, Joe. And quickly before we get out of here, uh, let's go to the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern is playing Georgia State. Uh, rivalry series series between the top two teams in the standings, and Georgia Southern for the second week in a row wins a series against the the team that that was leading the Sun Belt going into the weekend uh they sweep Georgia State first time they swept Georgia State since 2002 that sounds really good it's not quite as good as it sounds frankly though because uh they only have been in the same conference for like eight years so they weren't playing an annual series necessarily that whole time but still um Big big weekend for Georgia Southern, which is now into the top ten in RPI. Uh, a lot going on there in Statesboro. If you look at that that weekend, I, oh, and Georgia Southern now also into the top twenty-five for the first time in about a decade. If you look at the weekend, Georgia Southern just found a way. It was a different way every game, but I, I was impressed uh, with the way that they uh, they they weren't. It wasn't like they just pitched really well all weekend or the bats were going all weekend. They, they had everything going just at a different time. And, and they were the ones that that found a way to win.
2: Yeah. It's, um, you know, a team that took some lumps early and you you start to, to wonder if this is just a, a case of a team that has found its stride and, and kind of learned from those early advert adversities. And look, I mean, they played Tennessee to start the season and like, we know how that would go for, you know, basically all 300 teams in college baseball at this point. So a team that seems to be finding itself and um, they're in a fascinating place. Like the, you know, they're now in the top 10 in RPI. And we, you know, we talked about how we think they could host there. And that's, uh, it's kind of a fascinating storyline um, to, to watch as, as, the season, as the season moves on. Um, and they've kind of been a nice foil for Texas state here where Texas state is still leading the conference. And um, but Georgia Southern has that, that tiebreaker having won that series. And I think that's going to be a fun race, down the stretch and, and georgia state is still kind of in this thing um but th- the things that have needed to happen for the sun belt to kind of remain relevant have largely have largely happened you know that the teams at the bottom are, are starting to really get beaten up a little bit um the teams at the top are not sweeping each other necessarily although we had that with georgia southern and, and georgia state um, so it it does kind of shape up to be a, as as we kind of hoped when we started to eyeball the sun belt about a month ago as a conference to watch for this kind of thing like it has held form that you know over the last month of the season this is going to be a fascinating league to watch how the, the postseason race shakes up because even a team like georgia state even with that that sweep they're still sitting at 35 in rpi still have a nice overall record um you know six wins against rpi top 50 they're they're still right there um so uh good good result for georgia southern kind of continues to uh you know um secure their postseason future and puts them in a position where if they win this thing out and win the Sun Belt, uh, they could be playing some home games in June, which is, um, look, I mean, we picked this team to win the Sun Belt at the beginning of the year. We we certainly never imagined something like that.
1: No, no, absolutely not. It's never happened before. They've never hosted. They are a team, a program with a lot of history. Um, It's been a while since they've been in the NCAA tournament now, but a lot of history in that program. Uh, So do you, think they have to win to host because that's kind of where I'm at, but if they manage to keep this top 10 RPI, it might be a bit of a different story. I just think without, without a, a Sunbelt trophy of some sort, be that regular season or postseason, I don't know that they get to the host line.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think those two things might be somewhat related, just because you know, they can't fall to the, the RPI is going to fall if they start dropping games to where they're they're not right there at the top of the conference. The RPI probably falls with it. But um look, if they if they finish closer to if they finish inside the top 10, as long as they're at least, a you know, second place, a game or two back like that might be enough. But I'm with you, generally speaking, like we could sit here and come up with all kinds of different scenarios that might be interesting in that regard. But yes, generally speaking, I feel like they need to to. To, to lift a trophy one or the other, preferably both to be in a position to host. Um, but certainly that, that RPI, if it stays in the range where it is right now is, is going to put them in position to do so.
1: Definitely something to watch. Also something to watch in, uh, the Sun Belt is that Texas state has slipped out of the top 50 in RPI. Uh, yeah, that's, we'll, tru- uh,
2: that's, 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 that's trouble. I kind of noticed that too. It snuck up on me, but yeah, they, they've, um, they've got to get moving.
1: Arizona's uh decline has not helped the Bobcats in any way. So yeah, that's uh that's something to watch. If they're winning this conference, I think they're gonna be rewarded. But again, I mean, a lot of a lot of ifs there, a lot of work to do down the stretch um, for all of these teams. None of them can feel secure right now. Uh I mean, Georgia Southern might feel secure in a regional bit, but I, I think they've their eyes on more than that right now. Uh, so the Sun Belt continues to be an intriguing conference and a uh, fascinating series every weekend. Georgia Southern this week uh, has uh, South Alabama, the reigning champs. So it does not lighten uh, too terribly much for the Eagles. All right, that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. We covered a lot of ground, uh, covering even more ground over on the website. Be sure to check everything out over at BaseballAmerica.com can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we will be back here on Thursday for another edition of the baseball America college podcast previewing week 10. We come at you twice a week here during the regular season Mondays and Thursdays. So make sure you are subscribed to the baseball America podcast in your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, hit the subscribe, hit the follow button and we come, uh, at you twice a week. Alrighty, Joe, uh, that'll do it. Thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy, we'll talk to you next time.